Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with the drive, blocked by Jackson. Bain, step back three. Bingo! All right, what's good, GBB Nation and Grizzlies fans? Welcome back to the latest episode of the Core 4 Podcast. I'm your boy Xavier, and I'm here with my co-host Dave, Dave, David Buckler, and Matthew Gill. And guys, man, we just had coming, we just got done watching this exciting game right here against Miami. No John Morant, no Jaron Jackson, no Desmond Bain. Matter of fact, no John Conchart, no Jake LaRavia. So who do we call on? I mean, everybody else stepped up. <laughs> it's crazy how we pulled off this win. This was a great win right here. You guys, how, how do you how do you guys feel about this? Yeah, I, I, Xavier, so nice to actually pay it off, right, and, and win the game. Not just be competitive tonight and play hard, but to see the team actually get the win. It was very, very encouraging, Matt. I mean, so many people stepped up tonight. Yeah, super encouraging. I have a ton of thoughts from this game. Uh, Dave, I want to get a take from you as well in a second, but a couple, I mean, like, I had this written down as a schedule loss, and I think the Grizzlies did as well. I think that's why they didn't try and push Jaw to play. They weren't, you know, trying to push the issue with bringing Zaire back, even though he was upgraded. Um, and they said, we're just going to rock with what we got. But this was the second night of a back-to-back. You look at the rest discrepancy, I think that played a big factor in it. Uh, Miami hadn't played since Friday. Memphis, obviously, on the second night of a back-to-back, the first of which was in Detroit. So you have the travel in there and coming back home and playing – uh, twice in two nights. This is the ninth different starting lineup the Grizzlies have rolled out there in 24 oh. games. I mean, it's insane. This is That was kind of the tale of last season, though, right along with the jump from John Morant was how good this team was without him and being able to plug and play different guys throughout the season. Um, and, and this is another stat they had in there. The most games uh, the same starting lineup has played for the Grizzlies this year is seven. I mean, they're every night they're putting somebody else in there uh Tyus Jones stepped up in a huge way tonight against Miami but I go back to what I was talking about having this just penciled in as a scheduled loss and Dave I think back to that game when you tried to go in DC and they end up sitting uh Ja and Desmond Bain but I remember in the offseason I said on this show a couple times I was like John Moran is a superstar a megastar that's how you win NBA championships now so they need to start treating him like that and letting him rest in these situations. So I was totally fine with it. And they happen to come out with a win, which is great, but I love that they gave the guys, um, especially jaw a night off after the back-to-back. And I think that that kind of sets you up um, down for, you know, March, April, May, June, those kind of runs deep in the season. Yeah. I had never heard of the term rest disadvantage game. I read something today that, that Memphis coming into tonight's game against Miami was 0 for 2 in a rest disadvantage game. Previously against Dallas and Boston, of course, good, you know, relatively good teams. Boston may be the best in the league. Xavier, I, I had a really interesting thought, though, during the game tonight because Dylan Brooks still drives me nuts, and he was 2-11 from three-point range. And I thought at times still a little sloppy with the basketball and, and kind of hurt us. But I did want to put a positive spin on his performance tonight. Given all the players that were out, he still took the task of being the featured scorer, of being the guy. He has his limitations, right? But he 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 still, and by doing that, allows the other guys to kind of stay in their more comfortable roles. I'm trying to put a I'm trying to put a positive spin on Dylan Brooks because at times tonight I still scratch my head. Xavier, what did you see from Brooks tonight? 
even though, you know, his, his stat line, what do you end up with? Uh, he ends up here with uh, 17 points, you know, four rebounds, two assists. But I think the shooting uh, percentages are, are still frustrating. You know, whenever Dylan hears that Job Bain and Jaron isn't playing, in his mind, I got to chuck up 100 shots. I got to get 100 points. So, of course, we knew we was going to get that Dylan Brooks. A lot of the times he was forcing it, and it was – looking a, a little iffy i'm like man come on now like it was times that the grizzlies was actually playing great ball moving the ball around guys was getting involved especially how ty is played today man tires this is why we paid the man and not only that i want to give props to kennedy chandler that's your <laughs> third string backup point guard playing backup and he filled some big minutes tonight i mean huge huge minutes playing great defense and they're being aggressive offensively. I'm so happy of this unit right now. But, yeah, Brooks, I, he wasn't going to change his game. I mean, we knew that he was going to be able to take a lot more shots. And uh, that's Dylan Brooks for you. But at the end of the day, I was so satisfied with this win because, like like Matt said, I felt like this was a scheduled loss. Um, Miami did come out the gate, really, with emphasis. I know we had a quick 7-0 run, but Miami was like, draining threes left and right against us so it wasn't like Miami wasn't trying and saw and it wasn't trying and, and saw that it wasn't no Dylan I mean no Ja Jaron or Bane they actually played and put up a fight but this Memphis Grizzlies team then back down and it goes to say the next man up and it it, it it really shows that man like literally all these guys played and stepped up I know Vince Williams Jr. didn't have a bucket but he played some great minutes defensively, and he was making some smart moves offensively. And this is your G League guy that too much – a lot of people don't even talk about. They wanted to see Kenny Lofton. <laughs> so Kenny Lofton didn't even play tonight. And, and I'm, just, I'm just really hyped off this win right here. This gave me some good energy, man. Yeah, I would say the the Vince Williams thing, like I think he has a high ceiling as a 3 and D guy. Obviously, he didn't hit the shots tonight, but – he, he does have some defensive versatility and ability on the perimeter, and you just got to see some of the shots go in. And, yeah, I, we got to mention Kennedy Chandler. He stepped up in a big way uh, as well. And then just to go back to the Dylan Brooks thing just real quick, I'm fine with him taking 22 shots on nights like this with no John, no Desmond Bain, but we got to have more than one free throw attempt. And we're going to talk about free throws a lot on this show today, but um, I'm fine with him taking 30 shots if he wants, but I need at least 10 free throws from him as well. He's got He's got to get in the paint and draw some contact more. You know, I knew we would talk about Kennedy Chandler. Now he's a favorite of both viewers. And, and I want to also, uh, just looking at his numbers tonight, I don't think tells the whole story because he gave valuable minutes to allow Tyus Jones to rest as well. So when Tyus who had to carry a lot of the load tonight, played 36 minutes, when he was out of the game, we didn't feel like the, the, the ship was going off course. And, and I think that's what Kennedy did more than anything else. We, you know, we, we, we still played, in fact, he was plus 18 in a plus minus tonight. So he played really, really well outside of like whatever his shooting percentages are and points scored, that type of thing. Just the fact that he was able to give Tyus, I felt enough rest that when Tyus was back in the game, I thought Tyus played uh, clearly his best game of the year. Yeah. And like, and like you said, man, this, this was a great win. Uh, Tyus playing high basketball. I know a lot of people have been talking on Twitter saying that why did we resign Tyus? He's not playing that great of basketball, but, at the end of the day, it's the NBA. We all they have these players have their ups and downs, and they're professionals. And Ty saw Ty knows that he's not a backup point guard here in Memphis. He knows his role. 
And so he saw that Ja wasn't playing tonight, and guess what? He stepped up. So I really hope that showed up a lot of haters talking about why did we give Ties that money. This show right here, and not only that, uh, I know uh, Parker made a, uh, an article today talking about what is what will be Kennedy Chandler role? Uh, should he be in a G League or should he be playing with the unit with the Grizzlies? And it showed a lot today. Like he's learned probably within these past 20, 20, early 20 to 25 games, he's learned a lot. And I saw some growth because it was just a lot of uh, aggressive Kennedy. Um, he wasn't scared, backing down from the moment and the defensive end, man. He, he really it showed me a lot defensively. Yeah, he had played the passing lanes, being aggressive, wasn't scared of Bam Adebayo. Bam Adebayo is a great defensive big man. He was not scared. So, yeah, I'm happy about that. Yeah, shout out Rick Barnes, man. He's hard on his point guards, and that's what you get from a Tennessee point guard. Like, you're going to be a defensive playmaker, and you're going to be able to handle the ball, and he showed that uh, tonight for sure. All right, you guys. Now, <laughs> of course, we just got done talking about the Heat and, uh, and the Grizzlies coming away with the win. Let's talk about something bleak about the Grizzlies. So although the Grizzlies are able to muscle out wins at times, we must talk about the Grizzlies' free throw shooting. It is flat out abysmal. <laughs> They're shooting the league worse at 69.9%. That's below 70%, way below league average. Ja is shooting at a terrible percentage at 69%. That is not what you want to shoot. That is not a percentage that you want to see from your star. And during the clutch, he's shooting at 53%. Matt, does this free throw wolf from the team concern you at all for a team that wants to make a deep playoff run? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's super concerning. What we've talked about a lot on this show is that the Grizzlies have to capitalize on the championship window that a player like John Moran presents you. And so I went back, I looked through the last uh, 12 champions, uh, looked at their regular season free throw numbers. Uh, I won't go through them all, but just some highlights for you. The lowest uh, free throw percentage of the regular season for a champion is 72.9%. Uh, this is since 2010. That was the Lakers in the COVID year. So that's a super weird uh, number you, you may want to throw that out because of the COVID season. So the second lowest number is the 2016 Cavs, another LeBron team. Uh, that was 74.8, and the highest was uh, obviously one of the KD Golden State Warriors teams at 81.5 percent. So like you just don't win titles if you can't hit free throws at a 74, 75 percent clip. That's what you see um, since 2010. All these teams have been really good at shooting free throws um, at, at about that number. The thing to me that's really frustrating is that the free throw numbers, I, there's really two games that stick out, right? It's the Timberwolves game and the Sacramento game where the free throws were really bad, but also it was turnovers, tons of turnovers, 27 turnovers in that Timberwolves loss. And to me, man, not making free throws and turning the ball over at that rate is it's honestly just lazy and it's careless basketball. It's not that hard to hit free throws and take care of the basketball. It, it's really an effort thing. It's the same as defense, in my opinion. Yeah. Some teams can defend you better, but like the Timberwolves are not an elite defensive team. They have one player who's supposedly a, an elite defensive player and has won some defensive player of the years, but they're not a great perimeter defensive team. And, uh, you know, we haven't talked since after the Knicks win, but I, I had heard, and I'm sure you guys have seen the same thing, that they, they stayed a couple extra nights in New York after that big win. I think they may have been reading their own press clippings, and they didn't come to the Minnesota game ready to play at all. This is obviously a season-long problem, the free-throw shooting, but those two games stick out to me in particular, and they just didn't come prepared for that Minnesota game at all and the, the Sacramento game uh, as well. They, they just didn't shoot well from the free-throw line. But as I said, they're just not going to win a championship if they can't hit free-throws at a high rate. 
Um, even that Milwaukee Bucks team that went on to win a championship, their best player, not a great free throw shooter, but when it came down to it in the playoffs, he was unbelievable hitting every big free throw that they needed for that championship in Milwaukee. And I'm glad you brought up the clutch stats. John Moran's going to have the ball so much at the end of games, man. You have to hit free throws in the clutch. Bottom line. Yeah, you're right. You're the team best player. And again, he, he was talking all that noise to Malik Monk. You go back to that Sacramento game. He was like, don't miss those. Free don't, throws. Miss. don't miss. Those. Yeah, don't miss. And he turns around and missed, uh, missed two free throws, I believe. And that's like, why are you talking smack if you're not able to make your own free throws? And I like what you said, the turnovers and free throws, that's a big, big mistake that you don't want to have. I remember when I played basketball, those were my pet, I mean, my coach's pet peeves right there. Turnovers and missed free throws, especially when you want to go back and look at the game, you look at the tape, they talk about like, oh, missed calls from the referees. Well, you had multiple chances. The turnovers, you had multiple chances offensively, but you gave the ball away. And then as well, you had free opportunities to – to, to make free throws. But, yeah, I, I didn't even mention Stephen Adams' awful percentage. <laughs> Stephen Adams is shooting at 30.6%. Dave, I know you've been saying that Stephen Adams doesn't deserve to play during late-game situation. How do you feel about Stephen Adams' shooting situation behind the free throw line? Well, it's dreadful. It's dreadful. <laughs> and, and we know that, you know, in the postseason that the game slows down. They're officiated differently. And there's a lot of tight games in the postseason. I mean, like I mean, right now he's shooting, you know, over like about 31% from the free throw line. I am not diminishing, by the way, his contributions to the team. And I think he's a very, very important part of the Memphis Grizzlies. My my point, and it got dissected a little bit on Twitter, was these, these late situations in the postseason, it's very difficult to play one of your players that, that, that that's vulnerable at the free throw line. And, and these games come down to, to a point or two. I want to go back, though, to exactly what Matt said. You don't win an NBA championship with, with shaky free throw shooting. You just don't. There's four things that ruin seasons in all the sports, right? In the NFL, you don't win a Super Bowl with a shaky quarterback. You can win with an average, maybe like, you know, Trent Dilfer won one. There's been other guys. But you don't win with a shaky, below average quarterback. Uh, of course, in Dilfer's case, the Ravens had an all-world defense. In baseball, you don't win with a shaky bullpen. In hockey, you don't win with a shaky goalie. And in the NBA, you don't win with shaky free-throw shooting. It always comes back to bite you at some point. Think about teams that like have great fast-break numbers during the regular season. They get to the postseason. The game slows down, right? And, and so I'm concerned. My, my, I think It's very interesting we talk about turnovers, too. These two things, turnovers and free throw shooting, are about concentration and attention to detail. And I think it's things that you see in a young team that doesn't maybe take them as seriously as they need to because they're very talented. But we know talented teams don't always win in the end. If it did, why would it, you know, it's just pretty obvious who would win. We know who the more talented team is. I mean, even tonight, Miami should have beat us by 25 points tonight, shouldn't they? Weren't they the more talented team on paper? But they didn't play i didn't think a very professional game tonight and, and it's a nice win for the grizzlies with, with with the players we play so i i think that it's fixable if we pay more attention to the details an nba player should not be below 80 percent from the free throw line 
These are easy points. They're gimme points. And, and right now, to be last in the league is embarrassing. I think it's a little bit like what Matt said, a little bit reading our own press, a little feeling a little too good about ourselves sometimes. And we're going to win a bunch of games, but there's going to be a game or two, especially late in the year, where the free throw shooting will come back to really, really bite us. It's funny how you say details. I'll watch at the mechanics of the free throw shooting from the players because I want to crack down to the bottom of this. Why are we missing so many free throws? I was told playing basketball, it's all about the knees. You got to bend your knees. John Morant does not bend his knees when he shoots free throws. Same thing with Dylan Brooks. And it's a big situation. It's a big difference when you bend your knees and when you don't bend your knees. I don't know if John's knee still bothering him. What His knee that he uh, injured during the Golden State Series is still bothering him. I don't know if Dylan – well, Dylan got a funky shot regardless. But Jabret, especially, him shooting below 70% and you would have started, that is a terrible, terrible look. And I know LeBron James wasn't a great free-throw shooter, especially in his early days. He was around like 74%, but he made them when, it, when they really mattered. And lately, John Moran has not been making them when they really matter. And so I really hope that he really works on his mechanics. Back in my day when I played basketball, we had <laughs> we had to make free throws. I remember if we had a terrible free throw outing night, the next practice, coach would put the balls up, call us up to the free throw line individually. We got to make two free throws. Guess what? We don't make two free throws. We running for that whole practice. And those were some memories that you will remember. And like, okay, we're not missing no more free throws during the game. I don't know if Taylor Jenkins got to reach that level. I don't think – I know it's a different, different type of game now since it's the NBA level. But free throws do matter, and we really need to pay attention to that because those are easy points. And, and Xavier, wasn't it called beef, bend, elbow, eyes, follow through? That yeah, was, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. The acronym for free throw shooting, yeah. Yeah, you you, uh, you mentioned the shooting form, man. This is something I've been wondering about since like two years, because like Brandon Clark, his rookie year clearly had made an adjustment in his shooting form. And now this year it's it's back to being how it looked in college and it sucks. It's not any good. Jaws obviously got a little bit of a different kind of shot. He's worked on that in the offseason. But like you look at Jaws, Jaron, Dylan. Like, all those guys have funky shots. And, like, in today's NBA, since the evolution of – really, since Steph blew up, like, everybody comes into the league with almost the exact same jump shot looking like Clay Thompson. And the Grizzlies are littered with guys who have funky motions, and that's why they're not a good free-throw shooting team or a good three-point shooting team. Like, the best three-point – just the best jump shot form purely is Zaire, who we haven't seen all year, but, like, I don't know – I would love to talk to the Grizzly shooting coach and just be like, what's going on? Why why, why are all of our guys' shots look so broke? Jaron shoots from his belly button. Jaws got a weird kind of hitch <laughs> jump kind of deal. It's weird. Matt, Santi tonight shot a three-pointer like from the top of his head. It was Santi's like- weird too. <laughs> Dude, even Desmond Bain, who is one of the elite shooters, it looks a little bit different than like Clay Thompson, who I would say has one of the purest strokes in the game or Kevin Durant or something like that. It's weird. It bothers me. I don't know, but I mean, the numbers don't lie. They're not a great shooting team and they have a bunch of guys with weird forms. So I don't know how to fix that, but it is interesting. I was going to throw in one fact before we move on to the next segment. Out of all the players that's played with the Grizzlies 10 plus games, it's only two players that shooting above 80%. Y'all want to take a guess? Who? Ty has got to be one of them. Ties is not. Well, I'm not including tonight. 
Well, Bain's is Desmond Bain. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's Desmond Bain and John Conchart. Hey, there you go. Uh, one, one last thing I, I had to add as well. It was that, that they went nine for nine tonight against that Miami team. It's not awesome when you have all of your best players out and your free throws. Uh, it's only nine attempts, but still to, to go nine for nine without all your best players, not a great look either. Okay, heading to our next segment. We're going to check out what's going on around the league. It's, of course, this is a drama field league, and it's always new news, new information, and new ongoing battlings against the league. So, you guys, I don't know if you guys checked out the, the recent clip, but Rudy Gobert, he got into a little scuffle earlier this week, last week. So, him and Kenrick Williams, they got tangled up, and they both fall on the floor. Kenrick Williams gets up. Rudy Gobert trips him. He, like, it, look, it looks to intentionally trips him. And a lot, he, he was... It's, he was ejected because they reviewed it. That was it was actually intentional. Like, Dave, do you see this as a dirty tactic? And did you ex ever expect behavior like this from Gobert? I was a little surprised from the Rudy Gobert, but I I didn't know how we would do a weekly show. I thought maybe we would run out of things to talk about. This league never you never run out of things to talk about in the NBA, and uh, it, it's just it's incredible. I, I to me the bigger story was the Trey Young situation in Atlanta. And it came out that he and his head coach are having problems. And and what I think is interesting, Xavier, is that some of these teams that are struggling out of the gate, there's some disappointing teams around the league, from the Knicks to the Timberwolves. I think the Bulls are a disaster. Dallas being 500, they were in the Western Finals last year. I think what you're seeing is teams that don't have a real strong culture to overcome this kind of upheaval and turmoil minnesota is a great example people thought they made this trade they're coming in after a, a good playoff run last year for them and they're going to just come out like gangbusters they have not they look like a mess they did get the win over memphis you know last wednesday night but then they, they regressed and i i thought that was just interesting you know gobert seemed kind of classy in utah right as a classy guy classy player and then he goes to minnesota and now maybe he's kind of like regressing a little bit too i didn't like the play but I'm, I'm, I just think it's fascinating. The one point I wanted to make specifically, though, was the Golden State Warriors are figuring things out. And there's a team that had turmoil in the offseason with the whole Draymond Green thing. But they have championship pedigree. And they have strong leaders on that team, strong enough to overcome a slow start and start to put it in motion. And they look pretty good right now. I think some of these other teams – Maybe making the Eastern Conference Finals wasn't the greatest thing for the Hawks two years ago. Maybe they think they're better than they are. But there are some teams in real trouble. It's like the old expression is you can't win the title in November, but you can lose it. And I think some of these teams that think they're just going to get their act together are going to be looking up into playoff standings. And being a, an eight, nine play-in team isn't going to get it done in the West or the Eastern Conference. Yeah, you, I know you mentioned the Hawks. Uh, new news came out today saying that it was never – it was false news between Trey Young and the coach, Nate McMillan. He, he was basically – Young went ahead and, and addressed the media saying he was out for shoulder, sh shoulder soreness. But, I mean, for how did that news come out in the first place between you and the coach? Like, obviously, it has to be something bigger than that. And this isn't the first time that Trey Young has gotten into a coach in Atlanta, I, I don't know if you guys remember back in that 2019, no, no, the 2021 season, 
Lloyd Pierce was the coach, and he got fired midway through the season because him and Trey Young were battling against each other, and then Nate McMillan stepped up as the associate's head coach. And they made that deep playoff run that year. They made them to the Eastern Conference Finals. So you got the, the coach that really pushed you pushed you to, to the limits. And now you, you're obviously, I feel like they swept this under the rug, the actual issue under the rug. I, I feel like it's something bigger. What do you feel, Matt? Yeah, there's definitely something going on there for sure. And I think um, there is a hard thing to balance because I think on one hand, Trey Young – uh, maybe feels a little bit entitled. I think maybe my generation is, is guilty of that as a whole sometimes. Uh, as Dave said, when they got out of that the year after the Eastern Conference Finals, he was like, it's hard to get up for the regular season. Dude, you haven't done anything. Like, you you beat a, a really shaky Sixers team to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and get smacked around by the eventual champions. Like, you haven't done anything to say that you it's hard for you to get up for the regular season. He's also a guy that's never played any defense. I would assume that that is a big part of why he keeps butting heads with coaches is that nobody can get him to defend. He's obviously one of the best players in the league. He's an all-star. He's he's sick. He's a guy that every team would want. Uh, extremely exciting. But at the same time, as much as I want to put the blame on Trey Young, the number one coach, the number one job of NBA coaches now is to appease your star players. That's it. Like you have to keep your guys happy. That's why Steve Nash is no longer in Brooklyn. Kevin Durant got tired of him. He asked for him to be gone in the offseason, and it came to a head, and eventually Steve Nash is gone. The players in the NBA run the teams. They run the whole show, man. They run the league, and you have to understand that, and I think that's why Taylor Jenkins is so valuable in Memphis, man. The guys clearly buy into whatever he's selling. He and Ja are clearly on the same wavelength. We'll see. Like It's hard to tell how long that will last. Um, especially if they can't get, you know, farther into the playoffs. That obviously causes concern somewhere down the line. But, like, yeah, that's it, it is a McMillan thing. Like, he's got to understand that at this point um, his number one job is keeping Trey Young happy, and and, and that's that's it. And, and so it's a hard thing to balance. Like, I think both have some blame in this. It's hard to tell what really happened. Something definitely happened. I don't think they're best friends by any means. Um, they're coworkers, and sometimes coworkers fight. But the problem is Trey Young is the most important you know, employee of the entire business. So like Nate yeah. McMillan is absolutely um, expendable. I want to go back to the Rudy Gobert thing real quick. Definitely deserved an ejection. Clearly, um, you know, that that was an aggressive move. That was not like a basketball play by any means. I think part of it goes into the fact that he hasn't really found his fit in Minnesota yet. Maybe trying to show a little grit to his teammates saying, hey, like I am here. I am valuable. Uh, going back to that Memphis game against Minnesota, he only had one rebound. Like, that that's not what Ro Rudy Gobert does. Like, that's a huge testament to the Grizzlies, obviously the best rebounding team in the entire league. So I, I think that plays into a little bit. I don't think Rudy Gobert is necessarily a dirty player, but he may have been trying to send a message to his guys. Um, and then, you know, it makes me think about that Pat, but Pat Bev shove uh, in that uh, Phoenix game a couple weeks ago. He obviously gets kicked out. But I wanted to go back. I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, Spencer Dimwitty in that game, uh, it was the TNT game between Dallas and Golden State got tossed for a play that was a total basketball move, like just trying to bring his elbow through, and he happened to catch Jordan Poole in the mouth. And I, I don't know, maybe they're trying to protect him because they know he's got a weak jaw or something. And so they, they tossed Spencer Dinwiddie, but um, sometimes I think things get out of hand. And we saw a bad technical foul tonight. I know I've mentioned the Miami game a lot, but that technical foul, um, I think it was on BC, right? That was that – was, uh, so, so sometimes a couple of these refs a couple times have gotten out of hand, in my opinion. But, I, yeah, the Rudy Gobert thing, you, you can't be tripping people. And for Pat Bev, you can't be pushing people in the back 
you know, but uh, stuff happens, I guess. It's, a, it's an emotional game played by high intensity athletes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, I've, I've, I've made a video on my TikTok expressing how the refs have, has been so sensitive this year. Like, you can't show any emotion without them guys throwing techno fouls. I know it was like a really, really weak tech Jason Tatum got earlier this year, and everybody was like, wow, like, he didn't even do anything. And going back to the tech that happened tonight against Brandon Clark, really, these guys have to show emotion one way or not. This It's an emotional game, like you, like you said, Dave. Uh, the refs got to have thick skin. We, we're not going <laughs> to favor you because of a missed call or uh, we're not agreeing at, with the call. So a lot of the times uh, the referees are changing. I wouldn't say changing the dynamics, but they're taking the flow away of the game when they call these texts. And a lot of these guys can be ejected for no reason, like what we saw with Spencer Dinwiddie. And what do you think about Ja getting fined? The, the, the technical against Minnesota, right? And then then he got fined with the next day because they said he didn't leave the court in a timely manner or something? Well, I actually – if you actually watch the situation, I think Ja has some – not so pleasant words to say to the referee. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he was sort of deserving of that fine. And I mean, he got that big contract now. That's really chump change now. So yeah, I don't he's think not, that too much bother his, bothers him. Yeah, that's not going to be hurting him by any means. And, and going back to that Brandon Clark technical tonight against Miami, like we should have known when they said that it was a two man uh, referee crew and it was Scott Foster, like you got to assume some chicanery is going to go down for sure. But like Brandon Clark's like one of the nicest dudes in the NBA. Every interview he's so, oh, you know, oh, I didn't really, uh, whatever. Like he's so, he's so mild mannered. I find it hard to believe he said anything that set him off, but you never know what you're going to get in a Scott Foster game. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, you know, th there are a lot of teams though that are right around that 500 mark. And, and everyone says the NBA doesn't start till Christmas. And, and even in Memphis case, we're, we're saying once we get healthy, we'll start rolling. Are, what teams do you guys see, though, that like they're in big trouble now? Like the Bulls are nine and 14 and look terrible for a team that some people thought would make a nice run in the Eastern Conference. What teams do you guys see that like just simply may not recover at all from their bad start? Hey, you go ahead, Matt. I, I, I think you're you're dead on. Um... I also I look at Dallas and I think that they have a real problem. Like the fact that they stretch to try and bring in Kimball Walker. I go back to that that Dinwiddie ejection again. Like they had no ball handling um, once he was out and Luca was on the bench at that point, um, which was terrifying. Yeah, Chicago Chicago stinks though. I think that that ends up being a teardown. Um, I'm looking at the standings here. Who else is way behind the eight ball? I mean, the I mean, team we saw tonight. Like, Miami, I thought was going to be a lot better. They, they have struggled so far. And, like, the gimmicky zone defenses that we yeah. saw tonight, like, they're, they're holding it together with glue and duct tape. They're the New York Giants of the NBA, in my opinion. Like, it's all smoke and mirrors that they've even been able to hang around 500. Go ahead, Xavier. Sorry. Even the Knicks, 11-13, yeah, 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 yeah. right? I mean, people expected more from the Knicks. There's a lot of teams that are in really bad situations. So, we should be pretty excited to be 15-9. and nine. And and once we, we get some reinforcements – should be okay. Yeah, I was just going to make a quick mention of, like, the Wizards. But they're really in a tough situation. Like, they gave Bradley Bill all that money. There's no way that you can trade that contract right now. There's no way you can do that. Um, I mean, they got a, a little pieces of Kyle Kuzma. And you sometimes you might get the unicorn of uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis every once in a while. 
But I mean, they're not going to get anywhere. the The East is just too competitive. Even if they do make the the playoffs, they're going to be playing bound. And I really don't even think they can make the first round. All right, rolling into our next segment, a little bit more good news for the Grizzlies. So in today's injuries report, Zaire Williams was finally upgraded to doubtful for the first time this season. As well, he participated in practicing with the hustle today. And to even add a little bit more hope, Desmond Bain will finally be reevaluated this week. Matt, how excited should we be knowing that reinforcements will possibly on, be on the way soon? Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. We haven't seen this team fully healthy all year long. Uh, I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, that's a reevaluation re for Desmond Bain. I don't think we should expect him coming back anytime soon. This is right around the time I would expect Zaire to be ready to go, but I always would rather them proceed with caution um, with some of these injuries, especially with the young guys. And I think once he does come back, we're probably going to see something very similar to what Jaron's doing right now, a couple games on, game off kind of deal um, as they work him back into the lineup. But I am super excited uh, to see this team at full strength. The only thing I'm worried about, Xavier, is we've done a really good job the last couple of episodes not calling you Zaire, but once he's back, man, like, we're going to be screwing your name up again. And, like, we, we should probably get, like, a jar or something. And me and Dave got to put a dollar in every time. We we did good for a long time, Dave. You had two. You had won the last two episodes. Yeah, and I was like, "Dang, we had gone so long." But once Zaire's back, I'm gonna be doing it constantly. So, I, just a heads up, Xavier. Uh, no, <laughs> it's <offense>. all good. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's the only downside. Other than that, it's gonna be great having those guys back. I'm always ready to call you Xavier Dotson Senior. <laughs> that's another one too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> for the tip chart for the uh, end of year uh, holiday party, be fun. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, Desmond Bain, uh, before injury, he was averaging 24 points, having a career year. Like I said, 24 points, shooting 45% behind the three-point line and having a career year of assists, averaging four, basically five assists a game. And then last year, Zaire averaged eight points a game, shot 45% behind the three-point line, I mean, behind the field goal. And, I mean, he played some big minutes, played meaningful minutes during the playoffs, especially during the season when guys were in and out like this year, guys have stepped up. He stepped up. So, Dave, do you feel like that these two players are crucial for the Grizzlies' success? I do, and it's going to be very interesting when they come back because it really affects our starting lineup and our bench. We're not just getting two bench players back. You know, Bain's going to go back into the starting lineup. And, and what concerns me, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'll be very excited to have them back, but what concerns me is all the shifting around that we've had to do Matt, you had the statistic earlier on the number of starting lineups that we've had. I think consistency for, for, for professional athletes is very, very important. And, and I really hope that we can find that groove in the second half of the year where we find that consistency in our rotations. So so, so Bain's coming back, and, and it's going to impact our starting lineup. And Zaire is going to come back and impact our, our second unit. And, again, I, I just I, I worry a little bit. There's so much sliding around, and we've done a great job covering in those situations when we've had injuries, but, but this is going to affect Aldama, right? This is going to affect Brandon Clark. It's going to affect uh, David Roddy. I think there's a, a right now there's a, it, it's tonight was such an exciting game. As Xavier mentioned at the top to see all those guys chip in and get the win against a relatively good team. And I'm just uh, excited to see Williams and Bain come back and have everyone kind of settle into their normal roles and, and see how we're going to close games, what we're going to do against certain teams that run small ball versus like a bigger lineup. 
like Cleveland, who plays like two bigs all the time. So it, it's going to be exciting to see them come back. So much pressure on our shooters, right, without Bain in there. And he's off to such a great start. And it's going to be uh, – I know they're going to be thrilled. Yeah, I know you mentioned like how the lineups have been shifting in and out this year. I want to throw in a team that's sort of in a similar situation with us. Like the New Orleans Pelicans, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries. Zion in and out the lineups. I know Brandon Ingram, he's out right now. And CJ McCollum was out with some time. And they've had a lot of guys to step up. Last night, Jose Alvarado dropped 38 points. That was ridiculous. And then they have Trey Murphy that stepped up. Uh, I know their best defender, Herb Jones, is out. Like, they have guys stepping up. Like, they're, I really feel like they're the deepest team. Because 1 through 15, they're all rotational guys. They have Larry Nance Jr. coming off the bench. They have Jackson Hayes and um, the other Hernan Gomez brother coming off the bench. And then as well, they have a great rookie of uh, Dyson Daniels. He's been playing some great ball. Mm-hmm. And they've been throwing in guys in and out the lineup. Uh, a lot of these younger players are getting experience and time. And when it does, when they do get healthy, like they, Willie Green has to make a decision of like, okay, who am I going to have to play and who am I going to have to trust? And I think Taylor Jenkins, he's going to have to make that decision as well. We know that Taylor Jenkins typically like running a nine to ten man lineup. Will we be missing David Roddy? Roddy is starting to really get comfortable out there. He's turning around this season. This was the time last year we saw Zaire started to put produce some big big minutes. Roddy's playing some big minutes now. And with Zaire back, he's going to be moved to the bench. That's going to take Roddy out the rotation if Taylor Jenkins stick stick to that 9-10 to rotation. What do you think, Matt? Uh, yeah, you bring up the Pelicans first. I want to touch on them. They're terrifying to me. Like, we talk about the Grizzlies are kind of the next up team, especially in our division, man. As you said, 1 through 15, excellent players up and down that lineup, and they have the best draft capital in the entire league. They could go ahead. They have the best package for Kevin Durant or whoever the next star is that that they uh, want to try and get. Um, so they're a terrifying team to me in the long term. They could make a move at this trade deadline that puts them at the top of title contention for sure. Um, as far as Zaire and uh, Bain coming back and entering the lineup, what I'm most excited to see, we've seen it with Desmond Bain already this season, his growth as a playmaker, and that's what we were really excited to see from Zaire uh, in the preseason, in, in summer league. I'm really excited to see them be secondary, tertiary ball handlers. I talked about it earlier, the rest of John Morant. The other way to do it if he's not going to sit out full games is to have extra ball handlers like that. I want as many guys as possible that can handle the ball, initiate the offense, and make smart passes and keep us in games like that. Because you look back at – I mentioned Dallas, who's been in trouble. And and after Spencer Dinwiddie went out of that game, they had no ball handlers. They just got full-court pressed by the Warriors, and they couldn't handle the ball. Boston in the in the playoffs last year and the NBA Finals especially just didn't have enough ball handlers. Jason Tatum had to initiate so much of their offense. So I'm really excited to see if this growth from Zaire as a playmaker is legit, if he's going to be able to do it in the regular season and hopefully the postseason. And then obviously I, I think the Desmond Bain jump is real in that department. He's been a really good playmaker. Um, and I said he was going to be all NBA before this season on this podcast. He's probably not going to have played enough games, and, and there's also a lot of really skilled guards uh, as well. So it's going to be tough for him, but he's playing great. I can't wait to have him back for sure. I, I didn't realize. So he's being reevaluated. You said soon. What is your, uh, what do you think is going to happen in, in another two, three weeks? You think after the uh, next evaluation? 
Yeah, I, I, I really feel like that the Grizzlies aren't rushing him at all. I think it's going to be probably another another two to three weeks. I know he's been doing light workouts. He's finally out the boot and doing a little shooting. But, you know, the Grizzlies have to do, like, their little ramp up, like from 1v1s to 3v3s to 5v5s. And really, uh, the time flies by pretty quickly with that. A lot of people didn't uh, expect Zaire to be. I think they did know, like, this was the time frame that Zaire was going to come back. But at the same time, it was like, wow, like, he's upgraded to doubtful. So, basically, sometime this week, he's going to be playing his first game. And I think probably they won't bang back before their Christmas game. They got to have him back before their Christmas game because I feel like they got to want – they want to show emphasis to the Golden State Warriors. It would be lovely to have him for the Christmas game, before the Christmas game, so we can get his groove back. But I think it's another two to three weeks. They want to be cautious about this, and they don't, they looking long-term, like playoffs and deeper into the season for them. Yeah, I think they're going to bring him back slow, as they've done with a lot of their guys. They know these dudes are young. They're, they're looking at the long-term for all of them. And I think, my in my opinion, yeah, Christmas – or right before New Year's, if we go into the 2023 turn of the calendar and we have all our guys back, I think that's a huge bonus. As you said, Dave, the, the continuity, um, the stability of having all our guys has not been there all season long, and you have to have that going into the playoffs. I had a, a thought today, too, that if Memphis isn't in the top four in the West, I'm really concerned. Because, you know, let's say, for example, they get in as the five seed and they have to play the four seed, you know, starting out at Denver, you know, a, a seven game series. And then and they win that. But then they're they, you know, now we're against Phoenix, let's say. But again, starting the series on the road and then they get to the Western finals and they play, let's say, the Pelicans, who right now sit at number two. Can, can, can Memphis win three straight series potentially as the road team? That's a that's a big, tall order. I, I think the Grizzlies have to go in in the top four of the West and get one or two rounds at home. Otherwise, I'm, I'm a little concerned. And so, you know, say, when are we going to finally be healthy and string together some wins? It's good. We've won five of our last six. Maybe we're starting to do that now. Yeah, I just really think it's just like a rough house of a, of a season in the Western Conference, regardless of the one through eight. I feel like it's going to be an ongoing battle. It sort of reminds me of the 2011 playoffs when you hmm. had Dallas Mavericks. They had a rough playoff experience from beating that Portland Trailblazers team first to the Lakers, then beating the Spurs. That was a rough path. Then beating the big three Miami Heat. The Western Conference journey for them was not easy at all. So I think we're going to be looking at that regardless of the situation there is. But I think the big factor is for us is we need to be healthy because I don't – with their their unit and their chemistry, I feel like they're, they don't matter if they're at home or away. I know having home advantage is a big boost because you have the fans, but this is a unit and a team that has so much chemistry. I feel like that, that, that it doesn't matter. <sighs> Heading off to our last segment, we're going to talk about Jaron's dominance now. It's, it's been a big season for Jaron so far. He's played eight games this year, and it only really took one game to knock off his rust. So far, he's averaging – 19.5 points, averaging around seven rebounds a game and three blocks a game. Guys, Jaron looks more controlled, stronger, and he's dominating his matchups each night. Dave, I know you talk about the Grizzlies needing a consistent third score for, for us each night. Do you think Jaron can be that guy? Such a tough question to answer. I, he, he's, he's looked absolutely fabulous since coming back from the foot injury. 
And I'm thrilled for him and I'm thrilled for the team. And, and the block the other night on Joel Embiid was just one of those jaw-dropping moments where you say, my God, these are just the best athletes in the world. I, I mean, I, I, a couple of years ago, I went and saw the Grizzlies in Philly. I had never seen a human being as big as Joel Embiid. I just couldn't believe how big and strong, and he's become such a great player. And, and Jaron just and just went right at him. And it's like, oh, my God, these guys are so talented. I'm just thrilled for him and, and, and what he brings to the team. He's finishing closer to the rim. A lot of us said, take that extra dribble, take that extra step. You know, you, you, and I, I gave him my honest award because I think he's turning into that kind of, of, of product on the floor. He's just fantastic. What I find so interesting, though, about Jaron is we talk about, is he going to play the four? Is he going to play the five? Is he going to close at the five? Is he better at the four? And I was trying to think of another superstar in the league that we we don't say, like, is Devin Booker going to go to the four? You know, or is, should Steph Curry, you know, slide over? Or, you know, we're, we're, all these other stars in the league sort of have, like, their defined roles of what they bring to teams. I was trying to think of another one that we're not sure, is he better suited at the four with a with a back-to-the-basket center like Steven Adams maybe, or is he better suited with, at playing the five and going small around him? I think Matt, it's a, I think he's a really interesting player, and he's looked fabulous. I think Anthony Davis comes to mind first. Like, he hmm. obviously wants to play the four. He's said that, like, many times. He, he feels more comfortable with a big with him. Uh, and I think that they kind of tried to force him into that five spot last year and that contributed to him putting on a bunch of weight and not being as good of a player. I don't know. I mean, I love the idea of just having – creating as much space as possible for John Morant, and I think that that means putting him at the five. And I think we will see that um, at closing time, especially at big games. And obviously Taylor Jenkins knows, like, once you get to playoff time, it's so much easier. There's so many stops and starts, as, as you've talked about, Dave – that you can go offense, uh, you know, change your lineups based on offense and defense so much. And when you need to close out defensive possessions, maybe Steven Adams rebounding is more uh, valuable and allows Jaron to be more of a roamer and can get some of those blocks. Um, but I, I think Jaron's been awesome on the offensive end to start this season. Uh, Xavier, you, you touched on his stats um, for all eight games, and those would all be career highs for him if they stayed. But if you take out that first game, which you said, like, he had to knock off some rust, you take out that first game and it's 21.1 points per game for him, uh, 6.7 rebounds, about the same. But shooting 40% from three since that first game back, that is so important to me. Like, Jaron, again, we I, I talked about earlier, weird form guy, but if he's making about 40%, he can shoot it from behind his ear. I don't, I don't really care as long as they're going in. Um, he's looked way more aggressive on the offensive side of the floor which has always been my biggest gripe with him. Uh, he's been going straight at guys going through their chest, and the rebounding rate has been uh, much better, in my opinion, too, since he's come back from injury, which is surprising. Like, we talked about before he came back, like, it, it, we were wondering how comfortable, like, how much he would believe that he could do it uh, on that surgically repaired foot, and he's shown, like, he's got he's, – he's fine with it. Like, he's comfortable already uh, and playing really well. So I think that he's a huge asset to this team. Um, and, and he's been playing super well. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued about his dominance right now because he really wasn't able to work out and do the offseason work that he really wanted to because he was injured, but he's coming back much better than ever. He's taking the extra step. It looks like he's much stronger. He knows how to utilize his body. 
I'm just wondering how did it all come together all of a sudden? Do you do you have an answer for that, Dave? Do you or Matt? Well, Matt, I'll, I'll let you go first. I have a I have an additional thought. <laughs> go ahead. No, it doesn't make any sense. I have no, I have no idea at all. Like you would have to be uh, Jaron's personal um, shopper that we were talking about earlier. Maybe he knows how he got so. Uh, much better over the offseason it's insane to me like you just don't see guys ramp up this quickly it was so bad in the first game in my opinion he looked like he was forcing it a little bit to see the turnaround he's made in the seven games since is insane I I hope it continues I I haven't seen any reason to believe that it won't Um, he is their second or third best player depending on how you feel about where Desmond Bain's at right now so like he's a huge part of it and and yeah it's the Grizzlies are extremely lucky that he has looked this good this soon. It doesn't make any sense at all that he was able to come back even better, but he has. Yeah, I mean, Xavier's point's a great point, that he didn't get to put the work out, uh, you know, in his normal off-season routine in, because when you have a foot injury, it's basically taking it in little baby steps and, and really working your way back slowly. So I think the fact that he's come back, it's a testament to the team, to the training staff and working with him, making sure he's comfortable I think sort of the final piece for me for, for Jaron is a little bit of maturity though on the court. I think there's a little bit too much whining sometimes after a, he's getting better, but he, he's very demonstrative sometimes after foul calls. And, and when he thinks he's made a blocking, it's a call for a foul. I, and maybe the whole team in general, just a little bit of maturity that will get uh, it started on the playoffs last year. We talked about it earlier with the free throws and the turnovers. It's a little bit of careless, a little bit of concentration. And I think they're, in, in Jaron's case, a little bit, let, let's tune that down a little bit. You're going to be a star. You're a defensive player of the year candidate. And and, and I, I'm, I get a little tired of the, the theatrics. I, I mean, is that fair? Yeah, I, I know what you, I know what you mean by that. I do see Jaron at times being a little bit too emotional on the court. Um, we know he's, he's foul prone and, some of the fouls that he do get called for, like it's an actual foul, Jaron. You fouled him, and it's like it's frustrating for us and you because you're too valuable out there, man. We want you out there on the court because you're our best rim protector. But really, he is our best defender because if you look at our defensive rating now, prior before Jaron, we were ranked, I believe, number 28. Now we're ranked number six because of Jaron is back on the court. Okay. So. I, I I really we really need Jaron and like like Matt said like you can argue as much as you want who you put who's more important to this team between Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson but they all have their own role and I feel like all three of them together that's our core and that's who we should look forward to going forward. Well, all right, you guys, we're wrapping it up. So I appreciate you guys checking out our latest episode of the Core Four. Uh, Be sure to share, subscribe, and hit the follow button. Matt, go ahead and tell the people where your socials socials are at. Yeah, at Matt A. Skill. Uh, As always, also follow us on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast. Follow at SBN Grizzlies for the Grizzly Bear Blues Twitter as well. And check out grizzlybearblues.com for all that written content. All right, Dave, tune the people in for your socials. So much good material on, on Grizzly Bear Blues. So, yeah, you can follow me at Twitter at DLB19338. And uh, great to be with you guys again this week. All Coming right, off a good can... five out of our last six. Let's keep it rolling, right? Yeah, yeah, keep it rolling. And you guys can follow me 
on Twitter at Zaytom Takes. And then you can follow me on TikTok for a little bit more basketball analysis at underscore XZAY. Thank you guys again. Peace. Stolen by Marin. Hammer. Nail. Coffin.